The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Morning. It's good to see you. I need to apologize if I if I look forward the whole time while I preach. I'm used to staring at a phone these days when I preach. Now there is an upside to preaching to a phone. If you plug it in, it never falls asleep on you. I do see you. I want you to know. I look all around. People ask me that a lot. Do you, do you notice me when you're preaching? If you're doing something weird, yes, I do. I absolutely do. Uh, if you fall asleep or whatever, I, I do see you. I, I do notice you, but it's good, to, it's good to see you. It's good to be preaching to people and not some device uh, this morning. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 2, so I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm Psalm chapter 2, I know normally we have Bibles in the pews, but we took all that out just trying our best to take precautions the best we can. I know we're not perfect in that, but that was one thing we felt that we'd be able to do uh, this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we can get you one at the end of service. We have, we have plenty of them. We'll be in Psalm 2. My, my goal today is to stick with God's Word. I believe that's the purpose of this time. I have so much I would love to say. I have so many things I'd love to talk about and address, but there's just not time for that, and now is not the, the purpose for that. I, I hope that during our stay-at-home time, you've done your best to keep up with things at the church through the videos that we'd been posting. Uh, we were trying to have videos every Sunday on Wednesdays, and then we started doing a, a podcast as pastors that goes on Thursdays that you can get. And I, I hope that you've been keeping up with at least the sermons on Sundays because we're continuing now in a series that Pastor Scott started last week in the video last week in, in the book of Psalms, looking at, looking at different Psalms. But I want to encourage you, because we're not having Wednesday services and just because we still not have Sunday school and stuff, we will still post a video on Wednesdays that interact with the sermon and then we will still be doing the podcast that we hope to keep doing for good now. If you're not a podcast listener, I'd, I'd encourage you to be. Uh, I really enjoy doing the podcast. You'll get to know us as pastors better. It's all four of us answering questions, looking at, right now, different aspects of worship. Why do we pray in service? Why do we read scripture publicly? That's actually a good one. We just read a whole chapter. Did anybody feel uncomfortable as you listened to that whole chapter? That's not normal for us uh, in here but God actually works through the reading of his word publicly. It's good to hear it. We see that all through scripture when that was done. So maybe it answers some questions that maybe you have about services and things. I'd encourage you to listen to it. But like I said, last week, Pastor Scott started us in Psalms, looking at some of the different Psalms throughout the summer. The Psalms are actually a great place for us now as we seek after God in the midst of all that's going on in our lives personally, in our country, and even around the world. Because as you look at the Psalms, it teaches us ways to rejoice. It teaches us how to grieve, how to lament, how to worship. It teaches us how to exalt God. It teaches us much more as well. And so we hope that we'll see all of that. But today we're going to focus on Psalm 2. Next week when we gather together, we'll look at Psalm 1. Psalm 2, I don't know if you're aware of this, is actually the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. It's quoted the most, especially verse 7. If you look at verse 7, it says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
This was penned way before Christ, but we already can see Christ in this psalm, and, and we'll get to that. But let's, let's read all this psalm. Listen as I, as I read Psalm 2, and then we'll, we'll dive in together. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little... Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Actually, when you read Psalm 2, it's hard not to reference Psalm 1 because most commentators will tell us that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 really go together. There's a purpose of why it's Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. If you look at the very first verse of Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of of scornful. And then when you look at Psalm 2, verse 1, it talks about the nations raging. And so you see in Psalm 1 kind of a, a private response to God, a personal response to God. And then in Psalm 2, it deals with the nations. It deals with kings and leaders and kingdoms and things of, of that sort. We see a really good question come up in verse 1 of Psalm 2. The writer would ask, most say it was probably David, would say, Why do the nations rage? And I want you to think about that question. And I want to ask you this. Do you see evidence of that today? As you look about, do you see the nations raging? I mean, we don't have to go outside of our own country to see this happening and to see this taking place even currently. But if you go back and you look throughout history, all the way up to today, this has very clearly been taking place. This very clearly has happened. If you go way back in our history, I'm talking about Genesis. Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. We see very early on in our history, what are, the, what are people doing? They are raging against God. They are, they are wanting to be God. They are wanting to be like God. And so they're trying to make a tower up to God. And in very early again, in, in the Bible, we see God has to, has to deal with that. And so it is very natural for man to rebel. In Acts chapter 4, verse 24 and 28, it says this. It says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, 
whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What are they referencing there in Acts? They're saying, you, you guys raged against God so much so that the nations came together to kill his son, to kill Jesus. That's what's being addressed here in Acts. And he quotes this psalm, saying, see, it's, it's coming to life here before you today. As we study human history, we see the sinfulness of man and how so often we tend to pull away from God instead of drawing closer to God. We act as if, as if we know better than him how to handle situations. We, we can see this with different leaders that have been put in place all throughout time, how they would make themselves God, even, even declaring that their people would have to call them God. We see this with Caesar in them, that you must, must worship me as your leader the systems that we set in place, I think we need to hear this because I think we forget this, but the systems that we set in place as mankind are going to fail. They're not perfect. Why are they not perfect? Because mankind is not perfect. We are, we are sinners. And so when we look at kingdoms, kingdoms will fall. Oh, there'll be good kings that come along and maybe there's some peace in the land, but the problem is the good king will die, but also the good king is still a sinner. Bad kings take place. We've seen dictatorships, and that's how countries have tried to be ran, and that always fails. In our great country, America, we've set up a republic, and we stand on that, and we, we even try to go across the world and spread democracy, and we, we preach that, and we teach that, and I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I, that is a good thing. I'm glad to be where I am. But listen, it fails. It doesn't work perfectly. It falls short. Why is that? Because we are sinful. Because the people who vote are sinners. Because the people that we vote for, sinners. They're not perfect. It's going to fall short. It's going to fail. And so when we look at the things that are happening in our world, what I hope it draws you to the conclusion that I hope it brings you to is this, to realize I cannot wait for the day when the perfect one restores all things because there's only one who's perfect. And we look forward to the day to when his kingdom reigns. We have the perfect king, the perfect savior on the throne, the perfect just one. See, with all the stuff that's happening in our country, I mean, it's hard not to address it. We see the protests and the things that are happening. And when you start to dive into that and try to understand it. And to be honest with you, I'm still trying to pray through it all and wrap my head around it all. But you start to ask questions like, what policies can be changed? You know, what are some things that could go into place maybe to, to make things better? And I think those are good questions to ask, but listen, you can change all the policies you want. It's not gonna be perfect because sinners run it. That's just all there is to it. We see it within the churches, do we not? We come together as a church body and we are called to be loving. We are called to be people of grace. We, are, we come together saying we've been saved by the grace of God and we are doing our best to follow God, but we all know churches are not perfect. Why? Because there's sinners in it. And even, even in churches, what we see is we see churches sometimes rage against God as being said here, trying their best to maybe put themselves on the throne, 
We have within us this revolt mentality to, to fight against the very first commandment that God, give, that God gives in the Ten Commandments. As we teach our children, you shall have no other gods before you. And we think that's so elementary. You know, we say that to them and, and maybe in Sunday school and in, in the pulpits, we don't say that that much, but how often do we say, you know what, God, I've got this one. I, I know your word says this, but I'm really thinking this. I'm really thinking this is better, so I'm, I'm going to go this route. I know your word tells me I should do X, but X is going to hurt me. So I, I'm going to take route Y. What are we doing there? We are placing ourselves on the throne of God. We are, we are raging against God. We are revolting against God. And we are saying, God, at this moment, actually, uh, I'm, I'm going to take your spot. I'm going to push you aside. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we can see that in our own life. Oh, yes, it's easy for us on Twitter and on Facebook and on all these things to say this about leaders in our country. Governors, mayors, oh, they, they hate God, all these things. It's easy to say that, but... What about when we look within? Because I think if we look within, we'll see we often do the same. We think we know better. You know, it's been pretty amazing to me. And I don't want to rant and rave. I told uh, our staff this. Please pray that I don't rant and rave. I don't think that's what this is for a moment. But it's pretty amazing how many, uh, how many doctors we have nowadays. I mean, they know everything. You just ask them. They, they know everything. And you say, well, where do you get this? I read a paper. You read one paper. All right, I'm going to take your word and risk my life on your word because you read a paper. Where'd you find the paper? On the internet? Even better. Even better. I trust you even more now. You are now an infectious disease doctor and I respect everything that you say. I say that being one who's done the same thing. Who at times would say, oh, that's ridiculous. I read this online and this is the truth. Or I saw some doctors say this and it's got to be truth because I know they say that. We, we go back and forth. Why do I say that? I'm saying that just to say we set ourselves up as if we know best. And if we know the Bible, what we need to understand about ourselves is we actually don't know best. We actually rage against the one who knows best. We so often push against the one who knows best? Well, in verses four through six, we see God's response. And I actually really like this response. Look at verse four. As the nations rage, as the, the nations push against the Lord, as they, they try to set up their, their own systems and their own things that they think are the best and are going to succeed, and they push against God, verse four tells us, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Now, when I read this, the little uh, side of me that can be cocky sometimes in sports and different things, I, I really like that aspect of sports. Uh, maybe it's not the Christian attitude, I guess, but uh, I do enjoy it at times. That's what I see here with God, sitting on the throne, just laughing. Look at these, look at, look at these nations rage against me. But here's the thing, it's not a, it's not a cockiness with God. It's, it's not this prideful thing that maybe I would have inside of me with an attitude like that. No, God laughs because as he sits on the throne, there is absolutely no threat that threatens him. There's no threat that can be made that would actually make him think for a second on the throne, oh no, they figured it out. They, they found my weakness. 
they found the code in the numbers and now they know what it actually means. And I've fallen. They're going to be the rulers now. They're going to take over. No, the Bible tells us he sits on his throne and he laughs at the puniness of his enemies. Think about it. The audacity of the things that were created to think that they could stand before the creator and tell him what to do. For those that were formed out of dust to then take over for the king of kings and the Lord of lords and to tell him what is best for their life or for the world in general. No, God sits and he, he laughs at that. While we maybe get scared, which I think is understandable. I've, I've personally tried to quit news. Tried to quit Twitters and the Facebooks because it brings great fear at times that I don't even think should be, I don't even know if it's real, to be honest with you. But it brings this great fear. And so for me, I don't laugh. I get scared. For me, I, I can get anxious. I can get I can get worried. I can feel the strife within. I can feel eyes looking to me saying, what are the answers? And I think, I don't know the answers because I don't know which information is real. I don't even know how to compute this. It's, it's taking me back as well. I, I'm not sure in this moment what steps I should take. That's the way I feel. Maybe that's the way you feel, but we can rest assured that's not the way God ever feels. God sits on his throne and he, he laughs at these things. You think this stuff scares me? You think this stuff pushes against my plan? No. We actually see in that passage in Acts that we read, God would use the rage of the nations as his plan. It said it was predestined for Pontius Pilate. It was predestined for Herod. It was predestined for the Gentiles and for Israel to do what? To kill Jesus. The worst crime in human history God said, how you raged against me, I actually I use it for my victory. So that's why God can sit on his throne and he can laugh. Then in verse five, it says, then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep pleasure. When we look at scripture and we see the voice of God being shared and man actually hearing it, we we see men tremble, we see men fall, we see men even break at the voice of God. And these are not instances of, of God speaking in his wrath. Now, you might not like to view God in wrath terms. And that's understandable because we've gotten away from that. We, we just like to speak of God's love and we separate God's love from God's wrath. But when you look at God's wrath, you have to understand this. His, his wrath is perfect. His wrath is completely justified. You know, his wrath is what needs to be because it's gone against God, which is the perfect plan, the perfect will. It needs to be done. And so you have this great God that is perfect in all his being. You have this, this great God whose voice we want to hear. And can you imagine for a moment hearing that voice in wrath? You know, I was living at home with my parents growing up. It was good to hear my dad's voice to talk, but if I knew I was in trouble, you don't want to hear that voice. Now, my dad was kind of weak and I could make him laugh. He's saying over there, so I can say that 
very boldly. I could get him out of that mode really quick. But no doubt you've had people that you think you don't want to anger them. You respect them. You want to hear what they have to say, but you think you don't cross them because they will deal with you. Think about God speaking in his wrath at the nations as they rage against him. He sits on his throne and he laughs, but then when he speaks, he speaks in wrath. And what does it produce? It produces a distress in them that is deep in displeasure. When God speaks, the nation will hear. They will hear it and they will respond to it and they will respond to it in great displeasure because they will know the power of God in his wrath. Verse six, he says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. We start to see God's perfect plan coming about as the nations rage against God and everything seems so chaotic and seems out of control. And we look at God and God is on his throne laughing. But then we start to see his plan. It says, I have set my king already. It's already been established. We read this this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. When David wrote this psalm, Jesus hadn't been there yet. But he writes this psalm as if it's already done, saying God has already established it, God has already planned it, and his king is already on the throne. While all these other kings try to jockey for position, they're trying to be the best of the best. God laughs. Why? Because his perfect plan is already in place. You cannot stop this plan. His king has already been established. And we see that talked about more in verses seven through nine. In verse seven, which we've already read a couple times, it says, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. In verse seven, we start to see the clarity of this. Who is this king? Well, being New Testament people, we have the privilege of looking back and we see that the, new, that, that the king, the only begotten son is, is Jesus. The verse that we all memorize, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Sent his only begotten son. That's Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten son. Jesus is the king that has been promised in verse six. Him alone. He's the only one that is God's son. You're not, I'm not. I hope you are by adoption. But Jesus is God's son. Verse eight says, ask of me, again, speaking to this king, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. In Hebrews chapter one, verse two, the writer of Hebrews and speaking of Christ says this, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world. See, the psalm is talking of Christ. Christ has fulfilled this. Jesus is the king that has been planned for. He is the king that is on the throne. And in verse nine, it says, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's 
vessel. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 15 to 16, it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We cannot forget as people of God, as the ones who look to Jesus as our King, that as this world goes downhill, listen, Jesus will rule it with an iron rod. All these foes and all these forces that, yes, if I'm being honest, they might crush you. I can't promise they won't. They might crush me. But listen, as they rage against God, one day they will be crushed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, they might have their one little day here, but they will not have eternity. Christ has eternity. Christ holds those keys. And so we see here in this psalm that Jesus is clearly the king. He alone is worthy because he alone is the son of God. And this has been the plan all along. It can never be vanquished. It can never be took away. This again is why God can laugh at his enemies because victory is already his. I try to think of comparisons, but it's extremely difficult to even try to think of a a comparison that it would be like. I mean, think of the best basketball player in the world and some little two-year-old coming up and kicking him on the shin. I'm going to beat you. What's he going to do? You're going to laugh. No, you're not. That's foolish. I can just push you aside. You're not going to do anything. That's the picture we have. God can't be stopped. He cannot be overcome. He's established his king and his king reigns forever. So declaring that then, we see the grace of God in verses 10 through 12. You see, a lot of times, and I can be this way too, instead of looking at the nation's rage and thinking, I want to pray for them that God would save them. I want to pray that God would break their heart and bring them to him. Instead, what we often say within our hearts, I think if we're being honest, is God, I wish you would come with that rod and break them to pieces. Destroy them. Let your wrath flow on them. And you might expect to see that at the end of this psalm, but that's not what we get. Verse 10. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. We see God making this offer to the kings. He just told them, listen, you cannot touch me. My plan has been established. My king is on the throne. And he begs these kings, these rulers, these leaders, bow down then to the true king. He gives them grace here. He gives them an opportunity. He gives them a chance. He says, kiss the son lest he be angry. Now, for me, I think this is impossible. I mean, I try to think of the leaders that I have seen all around the world. And I would dare say, very few, if any of them, would be willing to bow down and kiss anybody. Instead, it should be the opposite way. 
They are the president, they are the ruler, they are the king, they are the prime minister, whatever it is. It's no, I, you give me that respect. And so the picture of these kings who have raged against God, going down on their knee and, and bowing before Christ and kissing Christ, to me seems impossible. It seems as if it's something that I would never see in my lifetime. But we know through God's word that God can do the impossible. That God can open the eyes of the unbeliever. That God can soften the heart of those who are the most hardened of heart. And by his grace, save them and change them. And we have such a good God here that that is what God is giving an offer to these kings. He's told them, you are not going to win, you are going to lose. He's told them, the raging that you are doing is futile. I laugh at you. He's told them, listen, this is the plan. I have set the king. Follow this king. Trust in this king. And what does it say at the end of verse 12? You will be blessed. If you put your trust in him, I promise you will be blessed. That's the promise that is given here. But sadly, too often, they don't bow down. The pride within their heart will not allow that to happen. The knowledge within their head tells them that doesn't make sense. This makes more sense. This is what I'm going to do. Instead of bowing before the throne of God, they continue to try to make themselves God. Now, I don't know the position that you find yourself in. I... All of you probably have some sort of authority, even if you don't think you do. But as we look at this and we see it talking specifically to authority, I've got to ask myself, am I using my authority by surrendering myself to the Lord and trying to lead others that way? Or instead, am I trying to be the ultimate authority? I think that's one of the questions that we should ask with the authority you have. Teachers in the classroom, people who own businesses, wherever you work, within your own home, there's no doubt you have some sort of authority, some sort of influence. And are you pointing people to see, listen, I don't know everything, but I know the one who does. Or instead, do they look at you and think, he thinks he knows everything. He thinks he has it all together. Because that's a false narrative that we can set up for ourselves pastors being one of the leaders in that. But then also, I think we have to ask ourselves as individuals, have I bowed down before that king? Have I in humble submission knelt before his throne and said, I am not my own. I trust in you in all things. I know for me, that's a daily occurrence that I must do. And it's hard. Because like I said, in our hearts, we tend to rage against God. The Old Testament tells us our hearts are evil and wicked. And now by the, but the, by the power of Christ, it can be transformed. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can bow and we can kiss our king and we can submit ourselves to him. I'm really thankful that my hope does not have to be in the rulers of this earth. I mean, I know that they're not the king and it still drives me crazy. It still brings me great fear at times. 
But I am so thankful that God's word tells me in Psalm 20, verse seven, it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. I do not want to put my hope in democracy. I don't want to put my hope in some earthly kingdom. I don't want to put my hope in the judicial system. I don't want to put my hope and my rights on the Constitution or in any of these things. Because listen, those things aren't perfect. They're not executed perfect. But as a church, we serve the one who is perfect. And our hope is not in those things. Our hope is not in the power of our military. Our hope is in the might of our God. Our salvation is in the hands of our King and it's secure and it's wrapped forever. And it can't be taken from you. No matter what gets took from you in your life, that cannot be took from you because God holds it secure. And I praise God today and I worship him today because he alone is worthy of that. And we get to worship him. And we have the beautiful job of letting other people know there is one you can trust in. There is, there is one that you can put all of your chips on the table in and know that everything he says, that everything he does is perfect in all ways. That is our King Jesus. I praise him for that this morning. I want to pray together and then after that we're going to sing a song and hopefully you'll have a time to respond to God's word. So bow with me and let's pray. God, I, I do think Psalm 2 has been timely for us as just where our, our country is even right now as a whole, not even looking outside of America, but just here. Is the division and the, and the strife and how there seems to be no middle ground ever in anything and there's just so much ridicule and blame and fighting. God, I really think that's a picture of the rage that you're talking about. We're just, we want to rage, we want to fight, we want to engage and God, I wish I had all the answers. I don't have them all, but I, I think I have the most important answer that we see in your word. I'm thankful that we get to worship a king who is perfect and just. I'm thankful, God, that our, our hope is not in these nations. That my hope is not in the things of this world. It's not in money that we have seen can, can end instantly. It's not in security. It's not in any of those things. It's our hope can be centered on you through Christ. And that is all that we need. And God, you have provided us that. And so I thank you for that. God, for those of us who've been saved by your grace, God, help us to just have a sense of awe and amazement and wonder that leads us to worship you because you are worthy. God, help us not to fear, but help us to have boldness Help us to be faithful to you in all things. God, as, as the world may fall apart and crumble, and God, the world may even break me, that's okay because I know that you have me in your hands and I'll be with you when I leave this place. God, there may be some here who don't have that security, and God, I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth that Jesus is the one who's come to save them from their sins through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
God, I'm glad we're not in this alone. But that you've given us church family, you've given us a body that works together to honor you. God, I'm thankful, I know personally, of the texts that I've got of people praying for me and urging me forward and encouraging me. God, that, that means so much to me, or phone calls that just remind me that we're in this together for our King, for Jesus and how he brings us together. So God, I just pray that you would use your word to work in our hearts and in our lives. And God, as we sing this song, I pray that we would reflect on your word, that we'd, that we'd really reflect on what we're singing. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And God, if there's something that we need to do through prayer, that we would do it during this time as we respond to you. We ask this now in Jesus, our King's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.